Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona on April 21, 2019. We're already over halfway through the book of, uh, through the book. (laughs) Through the uh, month of April, we'll soon be into May. That's amazing. We have a little rabbit trail to begin with this morning. We started actually four or five weeks ago introducing the issue with Lydia and the um, jailer about the differences in their approach and the difference that the heart made in each of them. And so we're developing a chart that will take some time. It's, uh, this is in the first phases of this chart. It needs some modification uh, to, to deal with the need for educating the heart. We have focused on educating the mind. That's the input that pro- and it's processing. And by the way, I want to mention that the word brain is never found in the Bible. And the word emotion is never found in the Bible, so don't ever use those terms in explaining anything biblical. Emotion is not a biblical term, nor is brain. <clears throat> Somebody challenged me on that, so we looked it up, and nobody could find it. And then I said, well, I'll just offer $1,000 to anybody who can find it, knowing that it's not there. I felt safe. Okay. <clears throat> We have to come to grips with the heart issue. So we've entitled this The Neglected Choice in Education, and that's vulnerable. That can change. Um, we, We all know what it means to educate the mind, but that brings us to Epicureanism, because that's the, in verse 18, it talks about, it talks about two elements of paganism, known as Epicureanism and as Stoicism. Those are the two extremes of idolatry. Epicureanism is the desire to find find all of your pleasure through the intellect. Initially, Epicureanism is by the founder. You can look it up, go to work on it, But when you do so, you'll discover that the founder of Epicureanism, not as we hear it today, but he was focusing that everyone should find their pleasure in intellectualism, in the academics of life. Stoicism is the, by the way, though, I should say that the uh, adherence to Epicureanism Uh, evolved eventually to meaning whatever pleasure you sought for, you to seek it in 
and with the idea of escaping any displeasure. So it became a sensual thing, but initially it was, uh, Epicureanism is essentially the desire to find your pleasure in knowing. If, uh, Stoicism, on the other hand, is that you have to avoid all pleasure at any cost. I thought about joining that group. <laughs> Sounds dull. And out of that then came the pole sitters. They lived their life out on a pole, and food was sent to them because they couldn't, they couldn't experience any of the pleasures of life. That's Stoicism. We have elements of Stoicism in the church today as well as we have elements of Epicureanism in the church today. Those are all ongoing things, but paganism focused on those two things in their extremes. Am I clear so far? So the mind is where the focus of life is all on the gaining of knowledge. We come to a place in our chapter where we are now where it says that they sought only to seek something new. They wanted to always learn something new. That's fadistic. You know, that's based on, your life is based on fads. So you go from one fad to another fad to another fad. Oh, you find out more, so you jump to that fad. But their, their desire was to seek something new. That's a part of Epicureanism, and it's what we would put under the category of the mind, the seeking of information that you grab onto, and then you take it to you, but bored and go on to some more, something else. With that introduction... On your chart, the mind, we have, let me tell you this one more thing, is that I have a list of scriptures that will be added to this, and to uh, 12, because there are only 12 references to the mind in the New Testament, only 12. On the heart, there are hundreds. So why are we so unbalanced that we don't deal with the heart issues. So in the blue section, we have it wide at the top because that's where all of our input takes place. That's the exposure to and the awareness of all input, input through the senses. That's the reasoning faculty. Input equals processing. We're going to focus more on the heart because that's the neglect, that's the biggest need. It is the, is, uh, the assimilation of that input that generates a desire to do something. It desires a wanting to do something. It's the desire to act or change. That's the faculty of character. The first is the, fact, the factor of processing. The second one is the factor of desire. We might call the mind the collector, and the heart is the wanter. 
It's, the, it's where the desire comes from. So why don't we spend our time, as the Bible does, the Beatitudes are all focused on the wanter, all focused on the heart, all the way through. They are heart issues because that's how you become an ideal human being is through the process of the heart. And that's why Jesus began his ministry with, is with the development of the heart. Blessed are those poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Sensitivity. Where does that come from? Out of the heart. Blessed are the gentle. That means those who are trained and, and uh, um, meek. Uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. See, all of those are hard issues. And so he winds up, winds up in verse 8, not totally winding up, but putting all of those, all of that under pure in heart. David, I like to say it's the intent. The why the intent? Why are you doing this? The intent. Well, I think that's valid. Yeah, it's um, a heart issue. And it is a heart issue. I'm going to write that down because that's why I'm introducing this is to get ideas. It's very premature at this point. My pop always said when I was growing up that before you can do something, you have to want to do it. So how do we teach then the intent? How do we build that into somebody's life? How do we put in a wanter into someone's heart to where they want to do the right thing? and that their learning is the product of wanting to learn. See, that's where we've, we've fallen short. We are academic. We tend to be very academic, but we need to focus on the heart. The heart is the root of all of the issues of life come from the heart, not from the mind, but from the heart. You have to have a heart right. Now, I want to go, that's all I'm going to say on that, but I do want to read one, one, one verse of Scripture in Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> um, I said verse 31, I think. Jesus is speaking, and you'll notice in verse 30, he's, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. So, again, the heart is purpose-oriented. See, it's purpose-oriented. Intellectualism is not always. It can be, but it isn't always. And by the way, there is, um, there is a way that you can't separate these entirely. We have to be careful about that. So it's not one or the other, but our emphasis here is on the development of the heart. How do we teach and educate the heart to want to do the right thing, to develop the right intent, Ted, in life, not just to be a collector of information. So look at verse 31. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They are like children. Who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and they say, we played the flute for you. And you did not dance. See, there was a response expected. The music that the children were playing, no response. Jesus is saying they are like 
children who do this, and they expect a response. The response comes out of the heart, not out of the brain, not out of the mind. It comes out of the heart. So he's talking here very, very clear. He's talking about why the Jews, who had all the information that God had put into them, but the information did them no good because they were still under the law. They never knew what God's heart was in the law. They were never available to pick up on the heart of the law. Always missing it. Always dealt with the intellectual, academic part of it. And they missed what is happening here. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. God expects you to respond to certain things. And that response is what comes out of the heart. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Now remember, we've already excluded emotion. Weeping is not an emotion. It is how we use it in English, but from a biblical standpoint, weeping is not a part of an emotion. It's real. Weeping is real. And it's a response to something that is sad. A dirge means somebody has died. That's, what you, that's why you sing a dirge. I thought about, we sing one here every Sunday. <laughs> but today it's going to be different because there's been a resurrection. <laughs> yeah, well, food makes a difference too. For the, now, now he tells us the application of what he just got through saying. So you can't argue with the principle. Oh, you can try, but, you know, don't make a fool of yourself. If you play a flute, you expect somebody to respond. And if you sing a dirge, you expect people to weep or to pick, to pick up on the effect of the dirge. But, you know, we have hardened ourselves against that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to show ourselves to be responsive to these things, but God did. And when Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, what does it say? The one memory verse that everyone should know to this day, and you know what it is, you know what it is, you know, I forgot where I was going. You know what it is. Jesus wept. And some of you could never go to where Jesus went because you couldn't weep. That's a sad thing when we can't weep, when there's something to weep about. That's a natural response. And when we harden ourselves against the natural responses of life, we are hardening our heart against many things that are necessary for truth. Don't you forget that. In this case, you know, when Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, it was because of their hardness. It was because of their hardness. Well, he's, he's defining them here. Yeah. This generation in Jerusalem particularly. Yeah. yeah. So, John the Baptist has come... Eating and eating no bread and drinking no wine. You can tell that, you know, he was a misfit. And you say, he's got a demon. (laughs) The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now you think about that. 
You see, he's talking about the inconsistency of people who've got it all intellectual but have none of the heart that goes with it. Now I'm saying, in conclusion of this little piece this morning, let's get our hearts in tune with our thinking and let's make sure that our thinking is so that we can bring our hearts into tune with it. Amen. Now let's go to our text. That was free. I want to talk a little bit, um, just a review again in verse 18 of chapter 17, our text. Uh, this, um, the philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, he's talking about them here. <clears throat> Paul was in Athens. He had been disputing with them. And we are getting a contradiction to what Paul was saying by these who had extreme views, that of Epicureanism and that of Stoicism. Remember now, Epicureanism is finding and limiting your pleasures to any one or a number of things at the avoidance of anything contrary to pleasure. That's Epicureanism. And it began with finding and seeking to find all of your pleasure in learning and knowing education. That's academics. It degenerated into sensuality by his followers. So keep that in mind. Now, Stoicism is the highest good. And that could, that could only, you got me? Uh, that could only be found in a complete self-disciplined life. A, a denial of all natural and natural desires of life, of man. You see, God doesn't want us to go there. He has given us desires. They're to be enhanced, but performed within the boundaries that he has created for those desires. Eating is a desire. How many of you had breakfast? You didn't. You should have had. It was good for you. But if you do too much, as Ted did, and go out of the boundaries, he admitted it. He's guilty. To the guillotine. See? It means to be to use all of God's desires within the boundaries that He has provided for us, provided for us. We need to understand that. We're not to eliminate any desire that God has created in man. We're simply to live it and enhance it, but according to and keeping it within the boundaries. Dave, a good example of that is the Catholic priest and the Jewish rabbis. Both of them. Uh, and also the uh, Himalayan monks, whatever they sure. are. It's a denial of, of pleasure. David, what I, what I notice, though, is the Epicureans and the Stoics, they're spending all their time together. <laughs> you see, they, they, they both proclaim their, their group as yep. pure and holy, and they have the answer 
But it's, we see the same thing today. They can't live without each other. Isn't that all? That, that's they, a, they make a whole man if they just figure it out. Yeah. You see, that is really an interesting point. Thank you, Neil. You get paid extra No, for no that? charge. No, no charge. No, no. Um, We're going to double it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, it's a, it, it's a real problem. It, it really is because, and, and you have to know what the Bible says, and, and that's one of the big problems. Most people don't want to bother with it. But it all boils down to faith, and, and if you have the faith of what the Bible tells you, that is right, then you have joy, you see? And, and so then you have your intent to do the right thing. And it comes from the heart. Right. That's right. Well, the Epicurean, and Neil has said it here, here they were joining their two opposite extremes who are focused on the extremes, and yet they're found together fighting a common cause in Paul. Isn't that interesting how people will join themselves together if they have a common enemy? Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Verse 19. <clears throat> and he preached unto them. What? In this case, what does it say? Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. You've got to start with the man, because if Jesus was just other than a man, then his resurrection would mean nothing, would it? What, what good would it do you if it was God that was resurrected? And if it was he that was resurrected, then we've got a problem with if, who was dead, because if God was dead, then we've got a real problem there too. So if you understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus was a man while he was here, because Philippians 2 says he put away, put aside that which identified him with God and become as we were in every respect. That's Philippians 2. He became as a man. If you don't buy that, you've got a problem. you got a problem with God because he died, and you got a problem with Jesus because what good is there if Jesus was resurrected? What does that do for me? He had to be resurrected as a man for it to, to accomplish anything for me, by my choice. Okay, now you keep that in mind, that's free too. So they, they, uh, they grabbed Paul by his coattails and took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. You have brought strange things to our ears. This is verse 20. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, the comment that I referred to earlier in verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were, uh, which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Didn't I say that a little while ago? That, that's Epicureanism. Focusing on always learning something new but it never goes anywhere because it never gets into the heart to where you respond to it. Yeah. Aristotle, Plato, 
Socrates, all of those philosophers are in one camp or the other, or a degree of one camp or the other. Yeah, they're all Greek, because they, they were the philosophers of that time. Yeah. And there were some good things. I, I love studying Plato, um, but you have to realize that you have a problem with any, any of those philosophers if you don't have the full story that's in the scriptures. Now, they, they had one thing in their mind. They just always wanted to get, hear something new. So they couldn't settle down. They, they never could get it to, all together to where they could do something about it. There could never be a response because, well, we're looking for something new. And that's what happens when people are flighty. And Alex, I'm talking particularly about you. <laughs> flighty. Jumping one thing to the other. We have to be solid. And solidity comes from the heart. God didn't get things nailed down. Folks, your eternity depends on it. You and I are all going to stand before God, some of us sooner than others. Maybe a lot sooner. But we're all going to have to stand before God and we have to give an account of our life. And that, that ought to be so instilled in our children. There is an accountability to God. And we have to get a hold of that because we're going to have to answer to God for what he has said, not how we think about what he said. That's tough. <laughs> I think I'll avoid that scene. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> now, I want to go to verse 22. You know, we've got, a, we've got uh, almost 200 lessons in Acts in print. I think I did 195, 195th lesson yesterday. 194, 195. I'm not sure. I think it was, I think it was 194, 195. So we've got almost 200, and we're just halfway through the book. My two notebooks are that thick of those recorded lessons, and some of them are worthwhile. <laughs> David, isn't it isn't it interesting that as Paul moves through this book and his ministry, that for the most part he's he's, he's minding his own business. Have you noticed? For the most part, yeah. he's minding his own business. But man, he's getting into one jam after another. Oh here. yeah, they keep, they keep dragging They keep dragging him into one. And they, yeah, they drag him. Yeah, guys thrown in jail. Here he is again. Now, yeah. Now he's in Greece. Now he's got a chance to defend his view, because remember he had walked through the the aisle. Yeah. I've been there on going up to Mars Hill, and you you know they they still have the replicas of the idols going up uh, to Mars Hill, which is at the foot of the uh, Parthenon. <clears throat> <clears throat> where was the university, same as we call a university today, where all the learned set and pontificated. Yeah. Yeah. Nolan, you were right. He's usually talking to people who want to hear him. That's right. And somebody from outside comes in and drags him off yes. and does something else. <laughs> yeah. want to hear That's a good point. So Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill. 
Now, Mars Hill is just kind of in between the city of Athens and the uh, Parthenon, down here in between. Um, I stood up there and couldn't get a crowd. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. Um, <clears throat> but I tell you one thing I did do one time. We were in Canada, which, where we go, you know, most every year. And we did go to a bar. I, I love to go to bars at night. And we, and we were invited to get up. Oh, I didn't know we had a guest. Huh? Irish University. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a new one. well done. <laughs> I think I ought to quit, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we got, you know, we were invited to stay up. They knew we were preachers, so they stood up. Uh, I got first, and then Don got second. He did a much better job than I did. I was more academic. and But we, we got... We were there all night long talking to these people in a bar at, on the edge of um, Sycamus Lake, no, Sycamus Town, on the lake of Shuswap there, big lake, 700, 700 miles around it, and uh, we were in the Moorage Bar, and uh, it was amazing the response that we got. A lot of great discussion all night long, and that wears me out because you got to be careful, you know. And I don't think anybody was drunk. That would have made a whole different story. But the fact that we got invited and we got to stand on the tables, to me, that was my Mars Hill. Yeah. <laughs> and Don was much more natural. At that in that location than what I was, I, I was nervous about that um, <clears throat> because I don't like height. You don't catch it, do you? But that's okay. Um, okay. Verse twenty-two. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious." Now that's the word that we get from. Uh, that's what kind of the word religion comes from. That word. That's why we don't want to say we're religious, because it really means you're superstitious. That's what the word means. I don't want to be thought of as being religious. Are you religious? I hope not. In all things, you are too religious. And some of, the, some of the translations have translated it that way. I think the King James, maybe. I'm not sure. They do? Not, not this King James. Not this King James? Okay. But anyway, that's the idea. Um, superstitious doesn't really mean anything to us. Um, religion means maybe a little more to us. But anyhow... says extremely religious. Oh, you're, is that right? Yes, sir. Extremely religious. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's better. That's a better trust. Over-religious. Yeah, yeah, that's Young's there. That's Young's. Over-religious. I knew he'd come through. He came through. That's good. Oh, I love that. I perceive you as over-religious. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about, am I religious? Well, am I over-religious? He said, you folks are over-religious. Now, they were looking at that as a compliment. Uh, we are one religious folk. You know, and they thought, wow, he's honoring us. 
You think about that. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, and I appreciate that word, your objects of worship, and I like the word devotion better, but you can see both words. I've seen your objects of worship or your objects of devotion. A lot of folks don't have anything they're devoted to. A lot of the church folks don't have anything they're really devoted to. Devotion is not a part of our vocabulary. We used to have daily devotions. That's when we focused on the things of God. We grew up in our family with our nightly devotions. Uh, with my family, we grew up in the morning with morning devotions. Every time before we got to school, we spent 30 minutes in our devotion time. That meant emphasizing the things that we are devoted to in life. Every morning, all the way through all of my kids, all the way through high school. And um, those were good times. So I beheld your devotions, I, and uh, amongst all of this, I found an altar with this inscription. Now, if we read this, and all you're getting is what it says, you're missing the point. This has got to be read and read until it gets into the heart. I would like, you know, one time Jackie Carney up in Oregon Memorize, I think I've told you this before, memorize all five chapters of the book of 1 John. Memorize it, committed it to memory perfectly. And then a Sunday morning, she quoted that back with all of the drama that she could muster, and it moved people. Not just because she read it, but it came, she had over, she had memorized it, put it into our heart, and when it came out, there was something more than the mere words. Something more in the same words, but there was more. There was, there was feeling that came out of that when she, and that was, of course, I closed the service. That was it. That's all we need for one day. That's too much. To neutralize that with comments would have been disastrous. I would like to have somebody pick up the challenge this morning to memorize this sermon of Paul on Mars Hill. And I want you to have it. You can't get it done in a week. You can't get it done in three weeks. But in a month, you might be able to get it. Memorize this. Memorize it. Get it committed to memory to where it's a part of your heart. And then come back and Neil, would you let him give it to him on Sunday morning? Definitely. <laughs> All right. Do I have anybody taking me up on that? Hold your breath. <laughs> if nobody responds, I'm pass out. No commitment. <laughs> no commitment. See? If, if it means an early, you know, dismissal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll consider it. I'll consider I, I don't want to say for absolute sure, but sounds like a fun, fun project. You know, Noah, it would be rewarding, particularly to you, because you have what it takes to put this together right. You're unusual. 
Ted doesn't have a clue. <laughs> sounds to me like Epicureanism. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we get it from the Epicureanism into the heart, yeah. <laughs> not just superficial knowledge. But, you know, it, when you read this and read it and read it, probably read it a hundred times, and then pretty soon when you start focusing on one verse at a time, putting on the dashboard, you know, one or two verses at a time, yeah. going over it and over and over it, pretty soon it just becomes a part of you. And when it becomes a part of you, you'll have, you'll have uh, warranted some expressions that we just can't pick up in the words themselves. Got to come out of the heart. Would you help him commit to that? Don't commit today. Think about it, because yeah. I, I want you, if you commit it, I want you to stick to it. And whatever time it takes, if it takes six months, I don't care about that. But you know, what stands out to me about this passage, though, is, I mean, those of us who've been studying this for a while, Paul's been through a lot up to this point. Oh. A lot. And for him, he's not getting, he's not getting worn down. He's getting more brilliant. Oh. He's getting more clever. He's getting more... He's, he's becoming a Jedi here, you know? I mean... In this, in this speech... He is, never lets an opportunity go by. No. And they have all added to the experience of what he is expressing in this message. I mean, when you can take the insults, the veiled insults, delivered as comments or observations and things, snide remarks, and turn them around on somebody with the power of God's truth behind it, you're going you're gonna to win them. That's right. Uh, uh, this, this really comes from when, when Paul is saying this, to their unknown God. It comes from their philosophy, starting with, starting with uh, Socrates, and, and then coming to Aristotle, particularly Aristotle, because he saw all these gods out here, you know, Zeus and whatever, and he said, but there has to be one above all of them. Yep. He didn't know who it was. And yeah. That's exactly what, you right. see. And Paul says, uh, I have found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. Right. He was acknowledging to them a god that they accepted. But it was unknown. He was unknown to them. See, he didn't get on their case. He didn't go into politics. No. Oh, no. They called him a babbler. A, a, a diarrhea of the mouth. A, oh, yeah. Insulted him. They were wrong. Not yet. He just said, hey, you're looking for that one, and you haven't found him yet. Nope. And, of course, he, they, right. he, he's going to get to that point. So I found this. I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And, frankly, that's where most of us are today. We haven't got a clue as to the God who is there. We don't have a clue. We think that he has been formed after our image. <laughs> <laughs> instead of the oh that's no good <laughs> instead of the, the we have to remember that the apostle spoke from the mind of Christ so these words are not just men's best effort it's this is from heaven this is this is a heavenly message Paul was being was uh, instructed by because he had access to the very spirit of God that's right and so but he, he is allowed the freedom to express it 
from all of his experiences as well as from his resource in God. But now he can, he can build feeling into this because of all that he's been through, Nolan. Everything has an impact. That's why chapter 17 of the book of Acts is kind of a pivot point to the New Testament. It's the key, I think, one of, one of the big keys. <clears throat> now let's go on. We've only got a couple of minutes, three or four. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, or without knowledge, because you said he's unknown. That's what he means by ignorant. He wasn't accusing them of being stupid. They weren't stupid. Principally, they were, as he described in verse 18, they, were, they tended to be either Epicurean or Stoic, which expressed itself in the philosophies that Ted mentioned earlier. So he's already identified the two extreme groups that he's having to deal with here. Whom you therefore ignorantly worship or adore, wasn't an insult to them because that would be an insult to somebody you it wasn't ignorant, you know no. you worship without knowing the full knowledge you worship knowledge. in without knowing people are ignorant of the word Ted right. aren't they but he's already said that you have you have a, an altar to the unknown God and I'm telling you about the God that you are ignorant of because they've already said, having been inscribed, that he's unknown to them, and he says, I'm going to give you folks a clue. Now, most of us in the Christian, Christendom so-called world today would get up and walk out. I mean, if we understood what he's been saying. Feelings hurt, fragile. It's a matter of, of, of language we're talking. They understood this word yeah. when it was said to them. We hear ignorance, and we hear that that, that is an insult. Kind of like a, just stupid, you know. Yeah. yeah. They understood what he meant. They didn't take it personally. He's just saying lack of information. Yeah. That's why you call him unknown God. They have identified him as being unknown. That meant they don't have any knowledge. They didn't say he didn't exist. They were, they were not stupid. The Greeks were intelligent people. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at Alexander, you know, he formed, he, he is the one that gave us the basis for the Greek language, a very scientific language. That's why we study here from the Koine Greek. That was designed, that's called um, um, Alexandrian Greek. I went to Alexandrian Greek University. You know, that, that's how, that's what you want to know is, what language did he develop? Because that was the lang language that Hellenized all that culture of that time. Hellenized means to make into one common culture. And it was done by the language. Plus they make a great salad. Oh. What does? Peanuts? Greeks. Oh, oh. Greeks? Oh, okay. 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 Now, we, uh, we, he's, we're going to know here about the unknown God. He's going to tell us things about the unknown God, folks, that you may not have heard of before. And we're going to find things 
that are very contrary to Christendom today in this speech. Let's pray. Father, we want to know because our hearts are by our choice in the right place to want to know the right things about this message. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.